welcome to episode 30 of Western Reaches. I'm Megan Krause. I'm here to talk about books and games with my co-host, Seth. Hello. Hello. This is a Tashi Station podcast focused on all the geeky things that we've been doing. Our main topic this week is Pyre, the new game from Supergiant. Um, There will be spoilers, but there will be uh, a warning toward the end before we really get into them, but we've both finished it and really excited to talk about that. So yes. it's it's <laughs> been a while, Saf. How how are you? Have you been enjoying Pyre? I I've been doing good. I really really liked Pyre. There've been a lot of really good games coming out recently and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, we're it's such a like uh, embarrassment of riches is that the phrase with games right now. There's so much coming out when I'm I'm going to be away when Destiny 2 releases. Like we've had plane tickets <gasps> no. for a year. Yeah. <laughs> we've had this I'm um, going to Europe and we've had these tickets for almost a year but since before we knew the the release date for the game. So it came out and I was like, "Oh, September's so exciting." Wait, it's like smack in the middle of my trip. So as soon as I come back, I'm going to have all these games to get into, including Destiny 2, which I spent plan to spend a lot of time with. So that's exciting and harrowing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Pyre is beautiful. That's my, like, quick review if, if you don't want to listen to the spoiler part. Um, I really enjoyed it. I stayed up until midnight way too many times playing this oh, game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I would keep getting to, like, the 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 sort of the liberation rights, the, like, most important rights at, like, midnight. And then I'm like, but I have to finish it because I have to know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess that could happen in any game where, like, you end up at the end of a level and you're like, I'm just going to finish this level. But I kept playing this in the middle of the night. And uh, hopefully my other my other work didn't suffer too much while I was experiencing Pyre. But it was it took over my life for a while. Yeah, I had the problem of forgetting that rights actually took quite a while. Like, they feel like they go really fast, but they take, like, half an hour or something to actually do. And so I'd be like, I'll just play one more right and then the story would continue, but I'd be like, I'll play one more, right? And then look at the time, it'd be like 3 a.m. And I would be like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> but it just felt wrong to like go back to, to a save point before the right. You're like, yeah. I, I want to continue it. I want to see whether I'm going to win or lose this. Yeah, so we'll go more into the gameplay later on. Um, so first, I guess we're going to talk about books, uh, what we've been reading lately. I have been um, kind of powering through Six Wakes by Mer Lafferty, who I very much enjoyed um, her tw- her Twitter. I've I know she's doing a Star Wars story for um, the upcoming Certain Point of View collection, and so when Nancy of Tashi Station fame um, highly recommended this book to me, I said, "Oh, I've got to I've got to check this out," and. It felt more like a suspense or a mystery than a science fiction novel to me. I mean, it very much was science fiction. It's got this great hook where it's six clones on a generation ship who wake up to discover that their previous incarnations have been murdered. So they're they're finding their own oh. killer. Yeah, I've heard of that. I think one of my friends was telling me about it. 
the the plot, like the idea is great. The pacing is good. It kind of unfolds the characters. But it did a couple things that I know bug me personally that I think wouldn't necessarily bug anyone. But the the prose itself was a little looser than I prefer. It was very kind of to the point. Um, there were a couple sentences that I think could have tightened up. The structure was very unique, but the prose was a little flat. And I just, it's hard for me to, it's hard to hold my attention, even if the plot is really fast in that case. Um, the other thing that it did was that it it held the characters' backgrounds as part of the suspense. So the author very carefully gave out information about who was what and what they knew. But what that meant was that for quite a lot of time, you were in the head of a character who knew more than you as the reader do. And that always takes me out of it a little bit because I think I like that really immersive um, third-person point of view where you know most of the same stuff the character knows. And for them to not reveal their life to the reader just kind of felt a little, um, to, uh, con- uh, I'm trying not to say the word contrived, because that's not what I mean. <laughs> like, it was put together well. It felt a little, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Um, as if it was a robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um, autonomous? <laughs> anyway, we can, we can Autonomous kind of makes sense, yeah. Maybe. We can cut out Megan's vocabulary lesson if in editing if we want to. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, I would definitely recommend this if you want a quick read. It was very um, compelling. It definitely kept me wondering what was going on. Um, but don't expect the prose to be as finely crafted as a lot of the stuff that we recommend on here. Yeah, I think one of my friends who recommends me a lot of books um, told me about it. And she had similar criticisms as you, so I don't think she ended up recommending it to me. Because... I'm really picky with books, but every now and then I've get, I get reminded of them. Like maybe I'll check that out, maybe not. I did feel sort of bad because Nancy recommended it so highly, and I sort of wanted to be able to get past what I know are my own preferential things, but I kind of couldn't get past them. Yeah, I have that. I had that especially with um, the long wait or small angry planet. I always feel bad about that because it feels like a book I should love, but it's just got things it's that stylistic thing and like i hesitate to say what it is about it but i think oh my god (laughs) whoa what (laughs) saf are you okay did you hear that i heard like a rumble but i don't know if it was from your side or mine i'm sorry i just pushed the bullfuck button (laughs) oh no i'm so sorry for interrupting you (laughs) wait what button did you push there's like these little intro outro dramatic piano ballpark drums buttons and i pushed the ballpark one by accident can we can we just play it randomly throughout the podcast it'll keep people on their toes (laughs) oh my gosh anyway i'm sorry what were you saying um Oh no, go ahead. I was gonna say something sort of, just the style is extremely subjective. And yet, what I'm trying, like, no, you saved me, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just go on about the word autonomous again. Saved by the bullpuck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
So, um, in terms of completely different type of books, I've been trying to read more nonfiction, especially about the kind of cultural conversations that are going on in the United States right now. And I got, um, I learned about Ta-Nehisi Coates because he wrote for Black Panther and he did some incredible, um, interviews with President Obama and, like, essays about his experience with the, uh, Obama administration. So he has, um, I read two of his books, Between the World and Me, which is structured as letters uh, to his son, and The Beautiful Struggle, which is an autobiography about um, growing up in a black family as very culturally aware and like cultural activists, and sort of learning what it is to be a black man in America. And in both cases, um, like, these are obviously not written for me. Like, I am a white woman, so I can't help but see this as sort of a window into a world that I'm not familiar with. But throughout, I was uh, very blown away by his writing. Just um, the beautiful struggle starts with this description as it, uh, when he's he's young. He's, I think, a young teenager and talks about... Um, how he lives sort of half in a fantasy world because he was he was a young geek like a lot of us and the writing mixes fantasy and reality in just such a poetic way um and this is where like the prose is amazing um and it really kind of helped me to be aware of what kind of social structure has been built up in the United States to make the racial divide so entrenched in our culture it's been really eye opening and just I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but this has kind of started me looking for more really literary nonfiction about um, the politics that have shaped America today. I think, yeah, it's um, important to read stuff like that so that you can actually see and experience, not really experience, but, you know, understand other points of views that are different from what we would have grown up with. Yeah, and I almost wish I read this when I was younger, because I think it would have been very helpful for me when I was not as politically aware as I am now. Yeah, um, I know that feeling. It's, oh, that, yeah, that's that's wild. That could be a whole conversation, but um, kind of uh, in terms of social commentary, I, I read The Refrigerator Monologues by Catherine Valenti, which was her story kind of, or her short story collection kind of refuting the trope of the superhero comics in which women are tossed off to the side or literally killed in refrigerators or otherwise become accessories to a male character. And uh, we mentioned before on this podcast that I was a little afraid that it was going to repeat the, um, the tropes without really subverting them and in a way it kind of did and I think that was the point it was four or five stories about different women who were vaguely based on real superhero characters some of them were very obvious one of them was very obviously Harley Quinn um the others I didn't know quite as well um if you know comics better you're probably going to be able to recognize them better um so it did start, like, it's it framed with they're all living in an afterlife, essentially, and they're all, like, talking to each other about their experiences. And uh, I like some of the stories better than others. There were some that definitely kind of seemed to have the same flaws as the comics, but written from the other point of view. And I 
would argue that's not the most effective way to do a story like this, but that's a very, it's also very subjective. Um, and the writing is gorgeous. She always wants, makes me want to write. Catherine Valenti just like, her voice just like gets inside my head and it's, it's incredible. So that was definitely a very interesting one. Yeah, I remember reading reviews of it um, when I was deciding whether or not to buy it. And yeah, a lot of people said that it was just kind of, the same problems but from the other side as you said which I was kind of like mm, I don't know if I really feel like reading that right now but I agree Catherine Valenti's writing is just amazing it's not uplifting like refrigerator monologues <laughs> is not really the thing to go to if you're tired of the women in refrigerators trope yeah that's fair <laughs> And then, um, again, something from one of my favorite authors that, that I ended up not liking as much, unfortunately, um, Radiate by C.A. Higgins has been on my list on my shelf since, like, May or so, and I was really excited to pick it up, and then I just, I actually didn't finish it, which is shocking to me. I usually finish everything I read, even if I kind of grumble and skip through the end, but it, uh... It weirdly shifted completely away from the main character, and it kind of shifted in time as well, so it didn't really progress the story, it just told the story of the second book from a different point of view, and like, those points of view were interesting, and those characters had interesting chemistry, and like, there was a lot of really good, like, sci- you actually got to see a little bit more of the sci-fi, because instead of being set on one spaceship, it was set in this entire, like, solar system war. And, like, all those things sound good on the surface, but really the whole time I was just kind of, one, kind of wondering, like, where is Althea? Like, where is my favorite character? Is she even still alive? And, like, that question was never really answered. And it, it seemed to me like the author kind of was more interested in, in these other characters, which is, you know, it's her book, so it's not... That itself is is too broad a criticism to be effective, I think. But for me as a reader, it was very jarring. Right, that makes sense. So wait, is that part of a series? It is. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Um, C.A. Higgins is the author of the Lightless trilogy, which starts with um, with Lightless. Appropriately enough, I'm looking at my <laughs> shelf, like double checking that that's the name of the book. It is, um, which is a wonderful series published by Penguin Random House, and I got an arc of the first one, and it still has like a very pleasant place in my heart because a friend said, "I think you'll like this. This seems like your thing," and it was so incredibly my thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so like his his um. He perfectly knew what I needed for the, from that book. But unfortunately, the third one kind of goes away from that original conceit, and it just didn't work as well for me. Again, the prose is mm. fine. It's uh, workmanlike, you know, <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> that's, that's so, like, coded, but it's, it's tight but not flowery. Um, and... Yeah, like, all all good things, but just, I, I couldn't help but think that the author had gotten bored of the very character that I was the most interested in, which also was, I mean, there are many female characters in this, but she was the point of view character for the first book, most of it, anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's always unfortunate when, like, 
the main character kind of gets dropped in later books, which happens. And I understand why authors do it, but I'm always sad when it happens. I feel like I'm seeing that more often now. Has that... Does that happen a lot? Like, I don't know why that's coming to, as a surprise to me. I don't know. I haven't seen it, like, that much, but it has happened every now and then. Like, I mean, one of my favorite trilogies, Chaos Walking, kind of does it a bit. Like, it adds a new point of view, I think, every book. But they're characters that you know, like, that are core to the main character, so you never really lose the main character. So it works in that trilogy. But I've definitely seen it in other stuff I've read, like trilogies or like series, and I'll get to a certain book and it'll swap who the main character is or something, and it'll just be someone I don't care about. And I'm just like, I still love the books, but I don't want to read this. Yeah, and I can think too, um, I know like my some of my friends have talked about high fantasy that does that, and yeah. I think it's a little more effective too when it's a very large cast, because then the like the main character spot can be filled by, like, a rotating group of people, whereas the Lightless trilogy is relatively focused on, like, three or four characters. Yeah, that's an interesting choice, but I guess, yeah, it happens. Ooh, right, so, it... oh, what? Sorry, I was about to say, is it my turn to talk about books now? <laughs> it is your turn to talk about books. I was I was thinking of saying something else about, like, like, I wish Lightless had a fandom. Like, I, I wish, like, <laughs> I had more people to talk to about it. Um, but that's all I was going to say. So, <laughs> go on. I know that feeling so well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, I just finished a book last night, which is Patrick Ness's new book, Release. Um, which I only just heard about, like, a week ago. And I'm genuinely surprised of, because he's one of my favorite authors. Uh releases a young adult novel that's about a gay teenager with a really restrictive Christian family because his dad is literally like a pastor or something. Um, and he's trying to like find his own kind of freedom and happiness and ability to love at the same time as a ghost of a dead girl who got murdered in a lake is trying to find like her own kind of release um from anger and like that <sighs> trying to find the reason of her death and kind of fix it or well, not really fix it but destroy it or something like she's trying to get revenge for her death basically um and she's also like linked to some weird fantasy queen thing i don't know that bit gets a weird uh, like a little bit kind of vague but it's a really cool story that kind of swaps between the two as it goes like halfway through a paragraph or something it'll change to the other person on like a new page huh. it's it's yeah his books usually have pretty interesting formatting um to kind of get the story across which i always really appreciate of course it is a young adult book so it's very much about relationships and um young adult feelings but i'm still close enough to being a young adult that it still resonates with me a lot which is nice I've had uh, his books recommended to me before. I don't remember the title right now, but this makes me want to go back. I've heard that he writes good, um, not necessarily pure horror, but sort of creepiness. Kind of. I think there's like one book of his in particular that has kind of creepiness. He tends to do more like fantastical 
young adult fiction that's quite grounded, I guess. Okay. Yeah, like, um, I've read all of his books for his nonfiction book so far, and my favorite is his Chaos Walking trilogy, because it is just, it's amazing. It's, like, it was the book in high school that got me back into reading a lot, or the trilogy, I guess, um, and it's, like, sci-fi young adult, so, like, they're on another planet, and all the women are dead because of a disease and all the men's thoughts are like, you hear them and see them. So they're, they're just loud. And it's about this boy who finds out about the secret of his town and stuff and has to deal with that. Yeah. It does sound like he ties the like science fiction or fantasy element to the book, to the themes of the book really well. I just Googled Mm -hmm. it and he, he wrote a monster calls. Yes, he right. did. Okay, which I have read. It was recommended to me, and I, I did read it. Yep. Yeah, I just saw the movie for that recently as well, and that made me cry a lot. He he is a really good author. He's very evocative with his... Like, he's got quite a simplistic style, but it's very strong. Yeah. If that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I like this book more than his last book, so I'm happy about that. It got, I, I, yeah, it, a lot of it kind of resonated. And I think it's an important book for, like, young adult fiction because it's very much about, like, being gay and flu- fluid sexuality as well because one of the main characters is, like, fluid. That's, that's the label she kind of uses because she hates labels. Um, and it's got some racial stuff in it as well for other characters and it's kind of just about yeah finding your place in the world with and finding your family whether or not that's actually your family which was really nice good yeah and then um i read iron council which you've told me about so many times yes i can't believe you read it so fast because it took me like five months partially because i didn't want it to end yeah, it didn't feel fast. It took me, I don't know, I guess it took me like, yeah, two weeks to get through. But I kind of realized I had ter- returned to the library because I had no more holds on it. I was like, oh no, I should probably finish this. So That'll I kind of it. powered through, yeah. It was really good. It took me a while to get into it because it's like a, it's weird fantasy, I guess. And it's, it's weird and it's fantasy. Yeah, capital um, W, capital F, weird yep. fantasy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not usually much of a fantasy person, let alone like weird fantasy. Like when it started and there were frog people and hedgehog people and i was just like oh no what is this <laughs> um but his style is really interesting and really really i don't know powerful in some ways um he kind of likes to mess with language a bit which is really cool and even though i didn't understand half of what the book was trying to tell me i still really liked it um China Mayville books are the only books that will make me reach for a dictionary now because I just don't know all the words that he uses. And I kind of love that, though. They're all very beautiful, very confusing words. He has such a vocabulary. It's so impressive. And his precision is amazing. Yeah. 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 I always struggle a little bit with books that are, like, weird, like, capital W, weird, because just stuff will happen and there's not doesn't seem to be like rules of the world like there are rules but there doesn't seem to be like established constant rules that everyone knows of so sometimes stuff will just like the giant spider god just comes along and everyone's like okay 
I guess that happened now. And I'm like, does it have any relevance? What does this mean? And um, it's just it's just a thing that happens. And it was, yeah, I didn't know what to expect from it at all. I didn't actually read the blurb or know anything about it before I started reading it. So it was just kind oh, of man. a mystery that unraveled as I read it. Um, I actually, I feel like that's the best way to read a China Mayville novel with no context at all. I don't think any context, yeah, would have made it better to read. <laughs> I mean, I I know, like, I really like that sort of sense of looming strangeness that his world has. I like that the characters themselves don't know what to expect around the next corner, or like, they're sort of knowledgeable about about the general like truths of what's going to be there but not necessarily the specifics and that's before you get to something like the cacotopic stain which is literally <laughs> like a, just a, a salvador dali painting come to life which is actually a different china mayville story but that's beside the point <laughs> i'm so not surprised that that's a china mayville story <laughs> yeah um last night of new paris i believe is actually let me double check that title um but that's actually about um abstract art coming to life that's cool i'm probably gonna read more china mayville now that i've gotten into it because yeah that was a really good book Last Days of New Paris. I read the whole thing on an airplane. Nice. Um, I also read Mans. Well, I read two two stories in Mansfield with monsters, um, which is taking Catherine Mansfield's short stories and putting like eldritch horror into it. Um, it's got this whole like little prologue thing about how she was actually obsessed with Lovecraft stuff. I honestly don't know how true any of that is. It's probably all parody because I we we studied one of one or two of Catherine Mansfield's short stories in high school because she's a New Zealand author, um, and one of them always stuck with me. It was called Miss Brill, and it always stuck with me because it's about this old woman going out to the park to like enjoy the world, and then at the end of it this child make these kids make her feel awful and it just the story made me feel so sad and upset and it just stuck with me forever and so I was like what will this be like with horror and in the original story she's got like this fox or ermine scarf I can't remember what the things are called um that she wears it's like a real ermine or fox or whatever and that's the thing that the kids make fun of her for because they're like oh she's got a real dead animal on her shoulders and she's so proud of it at the start of it. Like, she's polishing its nose and brushing out its fur and everything. She loves this thing. And in the Mans- like the Mansfield with Monsters version of it, they made her husband, like, her dead husband in the story, who she goes and visits his grave, I think, or something like that. Um, they made him, like, a zombie <laughs> or something in, like, a wheelchair. So the it wasn't, like, it was the same story, but instead of the her ermine being the thing that people found weird it was her dead husband and so i was all like you know what this actually takes away from like the horror of the story somewhat because the bad feelings that came from it were about like it just being a normal old lady being made fun of for something that she found valuable like a real thing as opposed to like a monster (laughs) like her zombie Mm -hmm. husband and so i as when i finished it i was like you know i feel less bad about reading that story than the first one because 
it's so unrealistic and like if, if somebody had a zombie husband like you would be like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> so i i don't know that was kind of weird i read another one but which was kind of creepy i can't remember what it was um but i feel like i thought that mansfield's writing would go really well with this kind of stuff but i think what needed to happen was more of a subtle ominous style of doing monsters to go with it because her writing is very subtle somewhat like it's very beautiful and it's it's quite tight but it has a lot of feeling in it that's not said outright and i think that the horror need to be similar to make it work i think you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of why things like pride and prejudice and zombies are so unsubtle because the monsters it's sort of like you know in a, a horror story you're taking the fears of the age and turning it into the monster whereas this is almost the reverse where you're just taking the monster as a monster instead of as symbolic of something else does does that yeah reflect yeah. what you thought yeah i think so i i totally think so and i think it's yeah you've got to make the monster reflect what the the actual horror of the story is or else it just feels weird and kind of just shoved in there which is why i never read yeah pride and prejudice and zombies or anything like that because i was like that's not gonna work well for me and i thought that this might be written well enough and like with enough respect to how mansfield's writing is done that it would work but it just it really didn't that's something that would probably be better served by fan fiction by someone that's doing it without a publisher looking for money and someone who's really going to dig into the the writing style. Yeah, absolutely, I think so. Um I I read On the Edge of Gone, which was was that something you re- read? Yes, we talked about this on the last episode. Yes. I was trying to remember because I was like somebody talked about this and I can't remember who, but it's really good. <laughs> I yep, read it all the, yeah, uh... in one night, sorry. Oh cool. That's no, the positive apocalypse story. Yeah, because I vaguely remembered it being called a positive apocalypse, which is why I was like, Megan probably talked about this. And <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like, it's, it's it doesn't always feel positive, but you still leave it with like a good feeling at the end. And it was really like, it was really cool to read a story from a neuro, neurodivergent character's point of view. Like the, the main character is autistic as... Um, or on the autism spectrum, as you said, I think, in the last episode. Um, and I'm I'm not, I only have ADHD, but still, when I was younger, I still had quite a lot of, like, issues with people and stuff because of that. And it's always, it's always a weird, kind of powerful, kind of sad feeling to read such evocative books with characters like that as main characters, because... I can I can actually identify with how they think quite a lot and also seeing how much they can struggle to try and be the hero is just like really painful but also really refreshing. Yeah, this one was very sort of eye-opening and and not just in terms of the experience of the character's experience but also of like how difficult human interaction can be period, not to mention when you are like you're not necessarily you're uh how do i turn this word into an adjective your (laughs) neurology is different from the other person um and also when you're in this crisis situation yeah especially especially the crisis situation um 
oh my gosh, <laughs> I was always so stressed out because of all of that. And like the things with like mothers always get me as well. So this book had a lot of like things that would make me really stressed out and then get really emotional over. So yeah, I read it. I stayed until like 4am because I just could not put it down. Um, it was just, it was really good. Yeah, and some of the moments that I remember the most, well, yeah, it was it was really good. Like the the bits where she's fighting so hard for her mother and you can see why they're both you can see where their problems are coming from, but they're she's trying so hard to to handle all of this at once. Yeah, and nobody really gives her the support she needs for it. She's a very strong character for doing everything she did in that book, like and it's so nice to see a neurodivergent character do that and, yeah. and be a positive thing. It's so nice. Yeah, absolutely. And she's a strong character who also, like, has panic attacks and also, like, makes her own problems worse sometimes. But her strength <laughs> really comes through. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the final thing I read, which I actually read ages ago and then just forgot about, was Halo Shadow of Intent, which... Because I think I finished Raven Stratagem and then had nothing else to read except for what was on my Kindle, so I just picked up this book. Um, and it's a Halo book about... I can never remember any of the characters' names, but there's... A, I don't even know. Well, there's, there's, like, the, the Sanchium, like, guy who wants revenge for his family dying in the... Why can't I? Never, why can't I remember? Suddenly, all of the Halo names have disappeared from me. Um, well, it's hard to pronounce too, because the main character is Ratas. Yeah, R T A S. This is like, how do you say it? Oh my god, alien names are the worst. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's the saying Haley Elite main character who's like doing stuff, and I don't really I don't really remember what the point of the story was, but the things that were cool were that it had Lady Lady Elite warrior who joined the team because she wanted to get revenge for her family dying um and he was just like you know what why not you can fight you're cool join this team um despite the rest of the elites being like whoa woman can't be warriors woman can't be on the ship this is wrong and then there was also a grunt elite like an elite grunt who was part of the elites oh, and just yeah. really good at stuff and i'm like <laughs> this book is breaking all the alien stereotypes i love it because <laughs> As much as I love Halo, a lot of the other books have always had, or like expanded universe stuff, I guess, has always had like issues with the saying Haley woman. <laughs> like some of the books do have cool ones, but the other ones are like, no, they're all patriarchal and the women don't do anything and they've never changed ever. And this book finally brought in the Arbiter saying that all, that saying Haley woman can be warriors and fight alongside the men properly. And I was just like, yes, finally, it's changing. Yeah, that's cool. I actually, unfortunately, I, I also don't remember much of what actually happened in this book. It, it was included in the uh, the short story anthology, um, and if I remember correctly, it was one of the more, like, it felt complete. It it felt like a good, like, you could get it as a novella, and it was worth your time, but yeah, I don't remember the plot very well. As a novella, yeah. I figured it was probably part of a short story thing, because I also had, um read saint's testimony a while back which was amazing yes which is also so very good. short oh my god saint's testimony is like the best halo story ever yes thank you um, frank o'connor so for good. saint's testimony <laughs> i am so like because i remember i read broken circle or whatever it was which was so boring and so bad Broken circle was talk about your patriarchal 
alien societies man see exactly that's exactly it it's just so much like alien stuff that's not relatable it was so boring and so then reading saint's testimony and then shadow of intent after that and it's like okay i remember that there's good halo stuff now (laughs) it's nice to remember that so not gonna lie the fact that you mentioned raven the raven stratagem just before this i got this ridiculous look on my face it was like the skies opened up and the sun beamed down upon me the concept of yoon ha lee writing a halo novel oh, that would be so amazing it would be amazing oh, that would be the best thing ever oh my god <laughs> i mean he wouldn't be able to really do like what one of his strengths is which is to make up words and like make up attacks and stuff but i think mm. it would still be amazing it would be kind of like the Forerunner trilogy, I think. Just kind of weird. I actually have Retribution, Halo Retribution, sitting on my table right now. They were kind enough to provide me an arc, and I am enjoying it immensely so far. The beginning, um, Beta Lopez is one of my favorites, and the beginning um, has done a thing that, like, it it's instead of doing the pet peeve it's done the opposite which is nice (laughs) i don't know that troy denning did that on purpose necessarily but it's good so far i'm real excited to hear that i'm keen to get back into reading halo stuff because i'm really behind on it and there's some good things out there it's been weird we could probably have a whole episode about this but i was thinking about it as i started retribution that with no main halo game on the horizon the EU is kind of in a place where it's like sort of establishing its own stories, but not really. The, the, yeah. This one, Lopez's story, is it follows directly from a previous book, but a lot of the others have been standalones. And I don't know, I haven't really come to a conclusion about that, <laughs> but like the shape of the Halo EU is interesting right now because it's very open-ended without a Halo 6. Yeah, and it's so much has come out as well like i remember when i first read all the halo books it was just like i think the latest stuff had been the karen travis books um or the forerunner trilogy i remember which one came out first and so i caught up really fast and i was like sweet i've read all the halo books now and then so i kind of just glided on that for a while and then realized that like 10 more books had come out suddenly and i was like oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's been a lot of standalones and they must be doing well because they're doing it was maybe three of them came out last year including the short the two collections the comic collection and the short story collection they they must be doing pretty well Well, but yeah um, i remember halo glasslands i found that because it was being sold at the at the airport bookstore or something and it had like new york times bestseller or something on it or something like that and i was like huh, a Halo book, that, that that is that popular? I didn't know Halo books even existed kind of thing. So they must, yeah, do quite well. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be interested to see where they go. Yeah, me too. I'm, yeah, hopefully next next time we talk, I'll have read another Halo book by then. We'll yes. see. <laughs> <laughs> next time I will also have read um, The Stone Sky, which, yes, like, me too. was the greatest thing to wake up to this morning. Did you get the pre-order? I, I pre-ordered the the auto audiobook on audible um on my friend's audible account and i got a text this morning being like by the way i got this email and i'm just like yes finally (laughs) i i forgot i was actually planning on staying up like past midnight on the day it came out but i thought it was next week for some reason Mm. i i don't know if they adjusted the date or if i just was thinking wrong um, but it, it was out today, so I've read a little bit of it, and it's just like, she, every time you think 
that she's done being ambitious, she just like doubles the amount of ambition. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think I've it's... listened to two chapters now and it's just, oh, it's so good. We should do a spoiler episode on it because even like, even the first chapter is super spoilery. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like literally saying anything else about the first chapter would be a spoiler, but yeah. it's, it's really good. So, um, we, my notes say, <laughs> games, literally just pyre. So, um, <laughs> if you want to talk about what else you've been playing, then we'll move on to our main topic. Yeah, so I played Tacoma when that came out, um, which yes. is a new game by Fulbright, who did Gone Home, which I still haven't played because I'm the worst, but... And I, I've mean, I meant to play Tacoma like the moment it came out, basically. It was one of those games I've been looking forward to for ages because it's about spaceships and AI and, and a mystery and stuff like that, which is, you know, cool stuff. Um, but, the best stuff. Yeah, but I kind of forgot about well, I didn't forget about it, but I was like, uh, I don't have time right now. I'll play it later. And then everybody kept talking about it to me. They're like, Saf, you have to play this. You need to play this. It's so good. And I was like, fine. Okay, I'll cut out some time in my day and play it. And... It was really, really good. Like, it managed to do so many things that I really, really like. Um, whoops. Um, like, it touches on topics that I really enjoy. It's got, like, a, a short queer Australian AI <laughs> engineer, which is amazing. Huh? Um, not my favorite character, surprisingly, but she's pretty cool. And the way it's done is, like, so you, you're going to a spaceship as a... I don't know, investigator kind of person to extract the AI logs and then extract the AI of the ship that has gone off, like gone off communication. The crew is supposedly dead. Um, and you have to find out why, or at least you're not supposed to find out why, but you as the player are like, I'm going to find out why basically. So you go around this ship and you use these like AR interfaces so that, you can interact with the AI, the ship AI, who's not actually online at the time, so you can't. And then also, like, go through audio logs and stuff. So, and by audio logs, I mean they're actually, like, video logs of, like, recordings of the people walking around and talking. And you can fast forward and rewind through them and, like, pause them and interact with their interfaces as well to see what they're looking at at, at the time. So, like, when they bring up their interface to, like, read an email or something in a recording, you can pause the recording, like, tap the interface and see what they were reading at the time to see what they were doing. Um, and it's really well done in the way that you can kind of... There are these sprawling conversations that will take place across, like, an entire area. So you've got, like, the engineering area, right? And there'll be, like, four people or, like, six people, like, all of the characters in that area doing different things and they'll interact, like, cross paths and talk. And so to actually get the whole story, you've got to rewind, go back and listen to somebody else and then fast forward and go back again. And it's so well done that it doesn't feel tedious at all to be doing this. It sounds kind of tedious, but it's not. It's, like, you feel like they're actually real people. They're not just, like, walking off stage and then going into their T-pose, they're actually, like, going off stage and then still conversing and talking and having their own lives in this recording without you. Ah, uh, that's cool. I, I was really excited for that one for the same reason that you said this is the idea of a sort of exploration game in a space station. Just sounds perfect. Uh, I haven't actually picked it up yet, um, but I do mean to at some point. Um, you mentioned the rewinding um, mechanic. 
I was not a fan of the time travel rewinding in um, Life is Strange. I found it very... I didn't play for very long, which is probably half my problem, but I, I found it very cluddy, clud, cluttery. That's not the <laughs> word at all. Clumsy? I don't, I don't know. Um, I didn't like it. Do you think I would like Tacoma? I also didn't really like the time travel mechanic in Life is Strange that much as well. It did feel kind of clunky? I guess. Clumsy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something C. Um, Some combination of those two words, yeah. that like noise I tried to make. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it also felt kind of tedious, because you'd have to go back and like pay super close attention to things. This is less so, because they're kind of evolving conversations, so you don't have to rewind all the way back, you can rewind like 10 seconds or 5 seconds, and they're also not super long scenes as well. Um, and... There's not a lot of crossover as well. Like, if you're listening, like, I think you can kind of listen. There's three kind of conversations that go on generally, and there's sometimes they crossover and stuff. So if you listen to, like, one, you get, like, that part, and then you just go somewhere else. You have to rewind it just to get back to where the other characters were at that point in time. So it's not like re-listening to the same thing or redoing the same thing. Um, and because audio-wise, it's not like in video, like, it's a recording in front of you as opposed to the actual world itself being rewound. Um, you kind of have a bit of detachment from that as well, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, I, when I first saw what was happening, I was like, oh no, this is, this sounds like it's going to be bad, but it's done really well. It's a really, I think it's a really good new way of looking at how to do these kinds of things, which I really like because I mean, audio logs have obviously been a thing in games forever, but there's not much you can do with them. It's like you just listen. This is kind of an interactive way to interact with, interactive way to interact, a way to interact with audio logs to find story. So it's taking that aspect of games where the side stories are told through these logs and making it actually the core mechanic of the game. And at the same time, there's also like little things that you can do, like play pool and like, by yourself if you want to, which I couldn't do because I accidentally glitched huh. both of the pull cues into the table. Um, <laughs> or, like, investigate and look at things, read things. There's, like, notes around. You can um, find, like, look on their desktops and find things about their lives. So you learn about all of their lives, why they're on the ship, um, what happened to them. I think the biggest problem that this game has is that it kind of throws you into this game and goes there's a mystery but it doesn't tell you what questions to be asking so you go and you're like I know something is wrong obviously but I have no clue what or why or what's happening and it doesn't really give you a big question to hook onto except for something's wrong most of the story until you start realizing what what was happening and but it, yeah it doesn't really make you ask why a lot it just kind of makes you go huh. i need to figure this out without really going but why is this happening um and i think that maybe the biggest issue is they didn't have that strong hook right at the start but on the other hand they've got really strong visual hooks at the start because of the way it opens is really cool i definitely mean to pick it up at some point yeah i would love to hear your thoughts once you play it i think it's yeah it's Definitely one of my favorite games I've played this year. It got me very emotional at the end. Oh, wow. Cool. Speaking of emotions, <laughs> shall we talk about Pyre? Yes, let's talk about Pyre. <laughs> All right. Friendship Simulator 2K17. <laughs> I um. like that we have two podcasts in a row where we just talk about fantasy sci-fi football. Yes, well, I realize it's weird. I've thought more about sports in the past month than I have 
any other time in my <laughs> life, possibly, except in high school. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so from this point, there will potentially be prior spoilers. I don't necessarily think we're going to talk a lot about the end game, but we're just kind of going to speak no, freely. Wait, no, so I, I might, wanna... because I have, a, I have a story about how I played this game. <laughs> so at oh, some point, okay. I will talk about spoilers. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. But yeah, we, we will talk about the spoilers, just like, in general. Um, so... Pyre is a mix of a sports game and an RPG. Um, the different ways that you can interact with characters are either like dialogue choices or playing the rights, which are essentially like magical basketball. <laughs> you have to dunk a ball in a fire pit. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, and I really, I, I joke that it's a friendship simulator, but that's what really drew me to it. It's an incredible found family story. The atmosphere is really good. It's really whimsical. The music is really good. I've just, like, been yes. listening to the soundtrack for the past week. Oh, my God, week. the music for, like, the, when you get to, like, the Enlightenment, not, yeah, the Enlightenment rides, Liberation rides, and it's, like, I don't know, it's the music right before you have to, like, choose your characters, and it's so good. Every time it plays, I'm just like, yes! Yeah. <laughs> I did have at one point, during one of the, the Beyonder matches, the practice matches, mm. where two tracks were playing at the same oh time. <laughs> and it was driving me mad. Like, the um the Black Wagon theme and the, like, theme, the the right theme we're playing at the oh, same gosh. time and i was like make it oh, stop no. <laughs> but like after i <laughs> after i finished that right it was fine it went back to normal but it was oh, bad yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> but yeah the, the soundtrack is good that was, <laughs> apart from that <laughs> yes yeah and that was the one like glitch type thing that i ever encountered um I did find myself restarting rights every once in a while because I either wanted to win <laughs> or wanted to lose as the narrative dictated. Yeah. Um, well, that was one of the things about it. You could progress whether you won or lost. And I really liked that about it, that it wasn't like you have to, you have to win every game this competition was not necessarily the point except that it also kind of was thematically and if you lose enough liberation rights your the, the chance of your plan succeeding goes down and i think you get like a bad ending right yeah i think i think no matter what happens like the the place gets overthrown but depending on what you do mm -hmm. it could be really bad or like good kind of thing yeah yeah it's like the level of violence involved in the rebellion yeah, or something. something like that so yeah if you if you do if you do do badly and lose most of your rights then you do kind of screw over a lot of people <laughs> i was reading a review that said the person intentionally let um the cur the like old dog with his adopted human son they like <laughs> intentionally let him go I, yeah that's, <laughs> that's part of my story but yeah i let him go because i was like i can't do this to you man <laughs> you fought so hard that's you're a much better person than i, I am because yeah. i i lost i lost the first one <laughs> so I was like, no yeah. i mean I, I was gonna say i'm <laughs> not like that was also strategic <laughs> but <laughs> also because i'm a i'm i'm a baby and i can't say no to cute dogs i mean i yeah i lost the first right too though i did lose it on purpose because yeah yeah they they were great dogs um 
I, I did lose the first one, but not on purpose. I lost the first one against Orlek on purpose yeah. because I felt that was, because it was hard and because I felt that was like narratively <laughs> appropriate because Orlek was yeah, terrifying. I, um, oh, we're kind of getting like yeah. ahead of ourselves here, but whatever. Um, one of the other things I really liked about this was the dialogue. So the dialogue is obviously written in English or whatever your your native language is. And then the spoken voices are all speaking in Sarian, it's like a semi-constructed, you know, fake language. Yeah. And you start picking up words, like you start understanding what they're saying. And when Orlek said Nightwings, in like the name of your team is the Nightwings, and he says it in that language, and he says it with such like scorn, I had the most like physical like want to get away from my screen reaction mm. because it had bypassed the part of my brain that was translating and just went straight to like oh that's what that word means and it was really jarring but like really good from a like immersion perspective yeah i had a similar thing with that as well and i found yeah the language is really good because you could tell it was like a not really a real language like they haven't actually built a real language out of it but everything they said was roughly translated into what you actually read which was really cool um i think one of the writers or creators actually replied to somebody on reddit about it talking about how all the sentences they say in game are real sentences but they don't necessarily completely translate into what you read as well which i thought was really cool um they mean the same thing essentially but not always literally and yeah i also found it really cool for when that when the voice talks to you in english at one point no not the voice um the tree man Volfred talks to you in English, and I was like, oh yeah. my god, he's actually reading my mind. <laughs> so, weirdly, I missed it completely. <laughs> like, I th I don't know if I was just so tuned to not really listening to him, but it's is the part where he, like, reads your yeah. mind first. I completely missed it. Like, I don't know, I don't know how it, it again, sort of bypassed that part of my brain. But, like, that's really cool. Yeah, it was real shocking for me. Because um, I was kind of, I think I was sort of, like, I was talking to one of my friends as, like, because she was playing at the same time as me, and she was a little bit ahead of me. So I was, like, every time something happened, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is happening. And so I was kind of, like, not paying entire attention. I was just like, oh, my God, Wolford is reading my mind. And then um, I was like, oh, no, this is a weird new guy. And then, like, he started talking to me in English, and I was like, whoa, wait, hang on. What's happening? Yeah. this This was a great game to play, like, with a friend like i was i was messaging a friend the whole time who'd gone through it ahead first and the so the first like four or five hours of this game are like essentially a really you're it's not the way the rest of the game is played right you don't get to your first liberation right until what feels like halfway through the game <laughs> but it's not even halfway yeah. through the game so like I thought I was at the end when the first liberation right happened, and which I guess I don't think that's the fault of the I game. Think it's I think kind of I, I done on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't think it, it was fine. It was just, I was so into it at that point. Like, who am I going to liberate? What does this mean for us? I have to make a choice. Like, I love all of you. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um. <laughs> And then it was not at all the end of the game, <laughs> but it was, I was having a lot of fun just yelling to my friend about yeah, it. Yeah, I am so impressed by the design of this game and, and how it's done, because 
on top of the no game over thing, which is really good. And I remember when they mentioned it ages ago, I was like, how are they going to make that work narratively? And how they've made it work is really, really good because it never punishes you for like any particular choices or even for losing. You always get like some kind of satisfaction out of it, whether or not it's just character dialogue or lore or story stuff. Like there's always something out of it, which is really cool. But also the way they designed it so that the world just opens up after four hours. But every time, so like every time you think you're used to what the game does and you're like starting to settle into a rhythm, the game changes what it's doing a little bit so that you're kind of thrown off and it becomes new, which was yeah. really cool because anytime I started to be like, this is normal, it would add a new thing suddenly and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess this isn't normal anymore. Can it, can it put, put wings on your yeah, wagon? Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I would always run into other people in the wagon <laughs> because it would give me new yes. dialogue. So like, I was just like I I play video games as a very paragon like very pleasant person but the road rage was real <laughs> in the black wagon because I could just hear more dialogue as people leaned out their windows to shake their fists at the yeah, night. Yeah, and I like to run my wagon into people I didn't like as well. Blasted oh, manly. manly, the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so the characters were, like, the real strength of this, I think, and Hedwin is, like, the most immediately likable character I've ever come across He's in any game, such a sweetheart. When he smiles, my heart is just, like, it melts. He's so pure, and all of the- I really liked all of the main three. I didn't- I didn't play, like, I didn't use Edwin in the rights very much until, because he's, he's slow, like, his class is just very, very mm -hmm. average, and I liked to play with fast characters, so my team was usually Jodariel on defense, and then Ruki and the, the stowaway girl, because they're both yeah. really fast. Um, but then Hedwin gets his, um, later on in his, uh, skill tree he gets that talisman that allows him to like potentially disintegrate other members of the team even if he hasn't actually hit them with his aura so headwind became my offense character oh, yeah. after that but yeah but even if i didn't use him in rights very much he was close to my heart all the time and rookie was my like mvp he was the one that i actually used in the rights all the time it's always so interesting to hear about how other people played the game like that because for me my team was i can't remember my third character was but it was it started off like it was just jody hedwin and um che the stowaway girl because i called her che um that was my main team, which ended up screwing me over when I got to the first liberation right because they were like, choose your person to free. And I was like, sweet, I'll get rid of Tizo. And then um, turns out that's your top your top three leveled characters. And I was like, wait, yeah, I don't want to lose any of these characters. So I picked Che because, yeah, I'll go, I'll go into that later. But I picked Che and then lost on purpose because I didn't want to lose Che. But... Yeah, Che ended up being, like, my tank because she was, I gave her, like, I buffed her speed so much and, like, did her ability tree to give her the ability that when she salutes, she grabs the ball. Like, she, if nobody's touching it, she'll jump to it and then grab it. Um, so she was just, like, so powerful. And then later on, you get that um, Bertha, her name's not really Bertha, is it? Yeah, Bertrude. Bertrude. I, I nicknamed everyone, which yeah. is why I'm really bad at remembering names. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bertrude has like this, uh, like the, the radial kind of aura burst. And so she would have, um, 
I got her ability or her item or something that sent it through objects. So, like, it wasn't blocked off by stones or anything. So, once oh, you had yeah, that, like, she was indestructible, essentially. So, like, between her and Che and the other character, who I can't remember who I used for that, um, God, I've really forgotten. Hang on. Wait. My desktop is the characters. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think oh, I think it's Pamitha because by then I'd lost Jody. But um, Che was just so fast that nothing could stop her. And then, and then yeah, if somebody else got the ball, then I'd just destroy them with Bertrude. Bertrude, uh, yeah. Um, yep. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm so bad at everything. But yeah, it worked so well. By the end of the game, I was like, yeah, I'm so good at this game because after the first four hours when the game opened up, it suddenly got really hard for me because the other characters got smart. Yeah, it definitely, like, it took me probably three or four tries for most of the rights, which I don't know if that's... I, I've heard different people, like, different reviewers have said, oh, it was so easy, I yeah. never lost a right. And then other re- other reviewers have said it gets really difficult toward the end, and I found it was pleasantly difficult. Like you said, it, it was invaluable that you could check and look at the other characters' rosters because you could see exactly what talismans they had. I only realized that, had, like, def- <laughs> that. four rights from the end that I could look at other people's rosters, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> That's about when I figured out that salutes were a thing, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was really useful because, like, Blasted uh, Oralek has all these, like, demons on his team that do extra damage, and uh, it was annoying. But, um, and then, like, some of the, the ways it kept itself really fresh was that each of the characters and each of the different species and each of the different maps, which <laughs> the, the one on the... On the um, Imp Island, that's literally I love a football it so field much. with like, like Totoro <laughs> heads on it. It was incredible. So good. <laughs> but like each match is different, and then it kind of forces you to change up characters and work with ones you wouldn't necessarily play with. Which especially toward the end, like very obviously is is forcing you to do that. But the only one that I didn't get used to playing was oh, Volfred. Oh my god! Yeah, because I just. His powers weren't useful. I also had this, like, weird suspicion of Wolfred the entire time. I Me thought too. he was going to be a villain. I didn't trust him. I was like, do I really want <laughs> help he... with your plan? So I never really put the plan yeah. at the forefront of what I was doing because I didn't trust him. Oh, see, I'm glad you say that too because I was talking to my friend and she was like, why would you not trust him? Like, it's fine. Like, the go, go ahead with the plan. It's okay. And I was like, are you sure? That's interesting because he's like the... I don't know, he kept yeah. too much from you. He didn't tell you enough. He was very, like, secretive and seemed too calm for someone who'd been in the downside that yeah, long. Yeah, and once Orlik turns up and you can tell there's, like, something whoops, something between them that he won't, like, explain to you for a while. And I was like, did you kill him? What happened? I don't trust you. <laughs> Why does he hate <laughs> yeah. you so much? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, Orlek was very, to me, was, like, very obviously kind of a misunderstood villain, but nevertheless, he was gonna, like, throw his weight around for a while, so, like, who, who do I trust here? I thought that at the end, I, I honestly had this theory that at the end of the game, it would end up, like, I had all these theories about it, like, at the start, I was like, obviously the game is gonna make it so that you have to choose who goes through, obviously, and then the game did it, I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, and then, um, 
when I realized that there would only be a certain amount of people, I was like, this is probably going to make it so that, like, you, so that at the end you could go free or someone else can go free and then Volfred stabs you on the back and goes through instead of you. That's what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plot twist. Not quite. <laughs> Not quite what happens, but that was, that was 100% what I expected from it. I expected more about the Arch Justice, I think. I expected to meet him in a capacity other than as the announcer for the rights, which, like, that voice actor did, like, so, a hilarious job. I love job when he, like, heckles you. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think my favorite was he said these really quick quips like he'd just be like yeah bye rookie <laughs> and it was it was so funny and as he gradually started to have a little more nuance to his character in terms of the like how he goes from rooting for you to expressing his disdain in increasingly cutting ways was just like really good and i expected the reader to become the arch justice or or the, yeah. the voice rather, but you know, same, same thing. Um, I expected the reader to become the voice or for you to see the voice in person or for there to be some like reveal about the voice, which like there was, but not the one I expected. Yeah. I didn't be. know what to think of the voice. Like he, I was like, is he going to become like a main character kind of thing? Like, will we see him? I didn't know if we would, like I didn't cause <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know if we, we would really ever encounter him properly beyond that. But yeah, as, as we got further along, like I was like, wait, is the voice actually a character in this game or not? Or is he just kind of a weird disembodied voice? And yeah, I love it how he gets like really antagonistic towards you. And especially if you win too many times in a row, he starts getting really like, ugh, these guys again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ironic since like the whole point was the Nightwings were the team that are supposed yeah. to to win kind of like they're the team that's supposed to show everybody else how it's done not just in terms of beating them but literally showing them how it's done like showing the path to the to the yeah. commonwealth <laughs> <laughs> just like i love them all my other favorite oh, character Sandra's was so sandra cool. who <laughs> i didn't expect to love her so much because she's kind of like just like acidic at the beginning and then you find out her backstory and there's this great line about from her backstory hang on i wrote it down um about what happened to her um where is it i have all these notes the sisters of the arch cut into her skin once she was through with them she shed the rest um, which is, I think, actually, is that about Sandra or is that about one of the, uh, scribes now that I'm I think sure, about it? actually. Um, I might be off on my pie, yeah. Lord, but it's a great line. <laughs> and, uh, Sandra was one of the sisters of the arch, but there's the part where at the very end, she's like, cause she's trapped, she's in a trap within a trap, like she's the most restricted of everyone. And, like, her teammates have slowly forgotten who they are while they're in there for, like, 400 years. And she's like, don't leave me here. And I, I love Sandra so much. Sandra. She, like, the moment I saw her come into the game and, like, could talk to her, I was like, I'm going to talk to her every opportunity. She's going to love me kind of thing. Like, I kind of knew she'd have that arc. And <laughs> she's just so cool. And she's a little bit mean. And I love her. 
understandably mean. Yes. Her, that... The thing... Okay, so I, we can get into this, I guess. The, the choice that I had at the end was to, um, to free the reader, to free... Hedwin, because oh, Hedwin, Hedwin was, was the, the last one I chose for the last liberation. Yeah, well, because <laughs> partially, partially for um, because I was uh, selfish and just wanted him around, but also because he says he right. wants everyone to go together. So he actually, if you like liberate him, he sounds almost disappointed. So I was kind of like, okay, I'll keep you. Like you want everyone to stay together, and also like <laughs> I just want to keep talking to you. So, <laughs> but by the end, he was the last one. And if you choose him, he sends the decision back to you and yeah. says, "No, you choose." Um, and then or or Orlek was the other choice. And I ended up choosing Orlek partially because I just, I did, I, I ended up redoing it because I did, I liberated the reader and Wait, it just like on. didn't feel There's right. Like a and then I. Thumping yeah. against your mic or something? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm hitting the table <laughs> in my adorable. enthusiasm. <laughs> no, that was definitely a sound that I was intentionally <laughs> making on like some other sounds today. So. No, it's okay. <laughs> sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's probably not good for a podcast, huh? <laughs> um, I've been doing this for like three years, and the thing that's led me to hitting the desk is I am not Edwin. surprised. He's so, yeah, oh my god, I love him so much. <laughs> but, um, so the next time I, I freed Orlek, and that's like what I consider my canon ending... And half my reasoning was because then I could be with Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to leave her alone. So I think the reader needs to stay. Yeah, yeah. I ended up, um... So, okay. So my thing is, like, Che ended up being my favorite character, basically. Che and Jody. I love them both so much. And in my first write, I picked Che because I was like, I don't want to send, like, Jody, Hedwin, or Rookie home yet because they're, like the core three kind of thing but then i sent in che to liberate her and the moment i did i was like no i can't i can't lose che right now um because i was on one hand i was like best character for me in my rights she's my favorite character so i don't want to lose her and also like story-wise she had nobody on the other side for her so i would have just been sending her back for nothing <laughs> so i straight away i was like i'm gonna lose this yeah. right but i had like one of the items for getting money when you banish people so i just milked it for as much as i could before that and i was like wow this is the worst thing was i was trying to lose it and the ai was being so stupid that it just kept killing itself and like it took about half an hour for this right to end with me actively like trying to let the other team win so the first liberation right i think is like i don't know it's not easy because i think if you're actually competing against them they fight back but when you don't they don't know what to do it's really weird uh, it Wait, was, who, who were you fighting? I don't remember. It was... Um, yeah, yeah, it was a demon was guy. Was it the demon guy? Yeah, I think... I, I don't know if it's always him, but that's who it was for me. That, that's just yeah. really funny, because I can imagine... <laughs> it was, it was kind of hilarious like, watching it happen, because I'd be like... Because Jody had like a big aura, so she'd kind of stand away, and they'd just run right into it and die, and I'm just like, for God's sake, like, come on. Um... So yeah, that that was wow. that was fun. So through the rest of the game, I was like kind of strategically sending people home according to who I thought wanted to go home most. So I sent Rookie home after that because he was talking about his mum a lot. And then I sent home Hedwin at some point because yes. I was like, I wanted to find his heart girlfriend. Um, and 
I like refused to send Jody home until I got this cutscene between her and Che that my friend had gotten and told me about early on in the game, but I hadn't gotten because I guess my choices were slightly different. Um, and it took me until like almost before one of the last few rights to actually get it. So I finally sent Jody home and I was like, I'll miss you. You're my favorite. I love you so much. Um, it was just like, wait, so what's the cutscene? Che and Jody talking and Che is talking, like Jody's telling her how strong she is for everything she's done. She hugs Che. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Aww, yeah. I, I found that like one. when I was with my delightful. friend about it, cause we made a lot of similar choices, but we made enough choices that our stories ended up diverging quite a lot. Um, like who we sent home and other things. So, story like I got Hedwin's backstory really early on, and then she got until the end of the game, I think, to get it. So it really depends some of the some of the conversations and stuff. But yeah, so I kind of went through the whole story, got more attached to Che as I was going, like thinking like, oh, I don't know if I'll free you or not, kind of thing. And then I got to the last second to the last liberation right. I was like, sweet, I'm gonna free Che in this one. It'll be great. And then I came up against the old curse, <laughs> and I was like. Oh no, because obviously she becomes like oh, best no. friends. Well, she thinks personally that she's friends with Almer, who is um, Edbert, Egbert, dead, deadbert. I don't know. The dead, the dead dog. <laughs> yeah, dead dog. Um, dead dog, son. Dog, yeah. That his son, Almer, like Che ends up like being like, I want to be friends with him. And these people are so lovely. We should help them kind of thing. And it's really cute. And so I was like, I was talking to my friend as I was doing it. And I was like, okay, so I want to, I want to free the old man, but I don't want to leave Almer behind because the old man is gone and his dad is gone. Like why, why? Cause oh, no. like the first person in the team is the person that they send off to the liberation. So I was like, no, you can't, I don't, why is the old man going? He's about to die. Send your son home kind of thing. And so I was really torn about this liberation, right? Cause I didn't know who to send home between like Che <laughs> Or Almer's dad. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm so sad. Right after this. So I'm going to send Che home in that. Like, 100%. I'm going to let this old man win, be nice about it, send Che home, and then leave Almer alone because I'm the worst kind of person. So I <laughs> I, I lost that one on, on purpose. And at the end, like, the old man dog, like, hugs his son and is like, and then he, throw, he like, anoints his son and throws him into the into the pool so his son ends up getting sent back to the upside and i was just like crying my eyes out because i was like oh my god i lost Uh and now almer's going home and then che's gonna go home after this and she's gonna be with almer and it's gonna be great kind of thing and i was i was really sad but also kind of happy and then i got to the final final right and I was like, okay, Che is going to go home. I'm going to send her home. I, she was my first person that I put in to send home and I failed her then. So I'm going to do it now. Um, and and I was like, yeah, no, she has to go be friends with Elmer because he's nobody now. And then it comes up against like Oralek. And I'm like, you know, Oralek has a valid point. Maybe he deserves a second chance. So I was like, no, I can't let Che down now. It's too late. So <laughs> when I got to the end of that right and, um, and you can like choose who to send... And I was like, obviously, Che. And then she, like, sends the choice back to you. She's like, no, no, you should go. And I was like, for God's sake, if this game makes me leave now and leave her behind, I'm going to be so mad. Because I thought that maybe it would, like, that would be the choice that the other character would just choose to send you and then the game would do that. Um, and so when I actually got the choice between, like, me and Che yeah. and Oralek, I had this moment of, like, I could be nice to Oralek. I, I could be. 
I was like, nah, <laughs> Che is the most important thing in this game to me. So I sent her home. <laughs> Orlik ends up killing himself. And I was like, oh no. Uh, yeah. I think there's a way to what? not have that happen, but I'm not oh. sure what it is. But yeah, because of what I did, he jumped off the water and yeah. died. And I was like, no. But yeah. Oh no. Um, I, I did yeah, and then hear. In the after story oh, go a little on. bit, um, Che and Elmer end up like getting together and having a family and stuff. And I was like, I'm so happy with it. It was like this giant emotional arc for me just because of how I'd made my choices. Aww. But it was just so amazing. Yeah, well, I feel like this game definitely lends itself to that because the characters do all have yeah. personal connections to, like, somebody on the other team. And um, I-, I did hear that there's a way if you lose to Orlick by, like, a certain amount of points, like, if the game is really close, he will oh. pity you, essentially, <laughs> and you will still get the choice and if in that case you send yourself or someone else oh, okay. on your team, he will live. Yeah, I remember but hearing I that there was like some way to keep him alive. And I around the internet. did I don't know hear it was something to do with how close it was. But I wasn't sure if it was like super far away or super close or something. But I mean, I beat him anyway, so poor guy. I um, had kept Tizo on my team for quite a long time, mostly because I just, like, didn't particularly have an emotional attachment to him, and I didn't think, like, a drive imp would really know how to handle the Commonwealth. Like, they're not native to the Commonwealth, so it was like, he's not going to be all that useful to the plan. I mean, I also was under the impression that different characters... Give you that is true. Yeah, I think Jody gives the you plan, quite a which I don't know if that's true or not. Okay, so yeah, then that then at least I was sort of right about that. I was like, Tizo's not going to help me. He's like always lived here. He's fine staying here, but he ended up being my like speedy character toward the end. And Orlek knows him because they were both in the Nightwings at the same time. So the dialogue between Orlek and Tizo was really kind of emotional at the end and the way i won was oh my God. the last goal was tizo like dunked on orlek <laughs> yeah and it was so like good. it's, it's yeah, perfect like really that's my canon ending kind of now i sent tizo home yeah like really early on because i wanted him out of my party because i could not use him to save my life and i was kind of like kind of buffering so that I wouldn't lose the characters I liked too early but there was also me relying on not losing liberation rights later on um <laughs> which was kind of a risky way to play in hindsight uh but Tizo ends up being really helpful for the rebellion because he becomes like a mascot for them <laughs> yeah it was a weird like I didn't expect it at all but yeah he just kind oh, of really and he like helps uh-huh. <laughs> organize like sending messages to and to the upside and downside kind of thing. Like, yeah, apparently he's actually really good for the plan, which I didn't expect or even think about. I just wanted him gone. Oh. So that kind of leads into a conversation we can have at least briefly about the world building and the kind of themes of this. Because I thought the world building was really interesting in that the downside, it's not necessarily like another plane of existence it's like a physical place so which i didn't think at first when this was like advertised as like basketball and purgatory i didn't think of the purgatory as like a physical place but it it sort of is like the imps can travel back and forth just no one else can because 
the uh, there's that great line about like when you're on the top of the mountain, you're further from the downside, you're further from the Commonwealth than anywhere else on the downside, even though you're yeah. also at the closest point because the mountain is so high, right? Um, so I thought like some of that stuff was cool. Uh, what did you think I about the world, the world building? building was, was really it cool. what you I didn't expected? really know what to expect from it because I kind of had a similar thing. It's like, oh, it's like a limbo plane or something that you're stuck in. But it's like a real actual place. And the world building was cool, but there wasn't much of it beyond like the lore stuff with the scribes, I guess. Um, which I'm kind of okay with. Like, I kind of like, uh, Supergiant's sort of vague story building that gives you enough to kind of get a feeling of stuff and, like, the world, how it's interpreted by the characters at least, but not really that much solid lore, because Transistor was kind of similar to that. Um, I wouldn't have minded more, like, explanation about the downside and a bit more on how bad the downside actually is, because I realized, like, so my friends sometimes and we were kind of talking about like who we were going to free and stuff and we were yeah. like wait the downside's actually really bad it's probably not a nice thing to leave people here but they don't really emphasize how much of a struggle it is which i think is a little bit of a downfall for when you're thinking about how to free people yeah i agree um they didn't push like how bad the downside was as hard as i thought they would they also didn't really show a lot of like the people who really were criminals like everybody in your party had like a a perfectly good reason for being down there which like makes sense because the commonwealth is a corrupt government that's the point but you didn't really see like people that were actually down there because they were yeah. murderous or yeah something. that's true I didn't think about it just that. wasn't really that kind of story i the game was i think it very intentionally chose not to answer some questions and i found myself kind of wondering whether i wanted it to be more certain about the answers that it did give because in, like, the big speech that your reader gives at the end. <laughs> it's um, so cute. Which, like, the reader clears their throat, and it's incredible. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, you, the speech gives you the chance to say whether, like, you think freedom is just an idea irrelevant of where you live, or whether freedom is the most important thing in the world. Um, it gives you the choice of, like, who do you want to fight for? Do you fight for one another or for the oppressed? Are you, like... Do you have a divine destiny, or are you fighting just for the fierceness of the people? It, my reader, like, emphasized friendship, emphasized, like, we're gonna do whatever brings the most people together, because to me, that was the big lesson of the game. Like, that was my big takeaway, was that I became so attached to these people, and, like, our friendship was what brought us through these rights, but... The game itself never really answered its question of, like, what does freedom mean? And I don't, I'd have to really unpack that because I'm not sure if I'm seeing it through too much of my own lens or, or not, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think about what it had to say about freedom? Yeah, and, and I had a kind of a similar takeaway to you that, that I emphasize, like friendship and fighting for freedom so that we could be together again, basically. Uh, I, I kind of somewhat agree with you that it's lessons on freedom, like, yeah, it, it doesn't really solidify it itself on what it's trying to tell us about freedom, but I think that's kind of part of its point as well, is that it just, it wants us to bring our own interpretation of it and think about it from 
different points of views and different characters and build what we believe off of that, which I think is a nice change from what a lot of games do, where they kind of just make you think about their particular meaning and what they want you to learn about that thing. Whereas this game wants us to think about freedom and like mercy and that kind of stuff, but it doesn't want to enforce its point of view on us as much, which is, yeah, it, it it's missing that clarity of moral stuff, but it still helps us think about it. And I think that word you used in enforce really brings us back to what we were saying before, which is about the threat of the downside, even like the parts where if you travel through, you'll lose hope, you'll lose points. Like even those parts don't damage you as much by the end of the game. So Supergiant is definitely not punishing you for making a choice, even to travel around the downside. Yeah, which I kind of expected almost the contradicts stuff like their the own world building. The world to be slightly more punishing, kind of like Banner Saga, because people were saying it's like a mix of Banner Saga and Transistor or whatever, and I was like, "Ooh, that sounds really cool." Um, and so when I started, I was like really anxious about making choices because I expected it to punish like Banner Saga does, and it didn't really do that at all like it does yeah like you said you lose hope or other stuff which or like a character will get sick and you can't use them in a right which can be really annoying when you plan to use them in a right um but yeah it it doesn't really give you enough of like a fear of the downside which is not as good for competing with the other aspects of why you'd want to send someone home like, you kind of get to the point where you're kind of like, oh, it's fine to leave so-and-so here because, you know, they can just live their life without thinking about, like, maybe this place isn't a nice place to live their life. Yeah, like, maybe it's full of poisonous fog and those, uh, those wolf things that showed up oh, in yeah, that one howlers. tutorial <laughs> and then never again unless you had yeah, a certain yeah. amulet. So I think that was kind of the biggest yeah. weakness that this game had was, yeah, the the emphasis of the danger that you're actually in. Yeah. yeah. Cozy it is was a good very word cozy for it. For a game about purgatory. <laughs> like <laughs> Um Yeah, so that's that's like I could I'm definitely gonna be thinking more. This like moral choices in Mass Effect are hard, but like the choice at the end of this game took me I like stared yeah. in horror at the cat going, What do I do? <laughs> for like a while like it the yeah choice same. Had you really build up a lot of and i really liked ideas and emotions about what choices mean and then when you get to certain choices you're just like i don't i don't know what's right to do here anymore <laughs> and i really yeah i loved how it kind of the way it's designed yeah. and how everything's kind of interconnected and there's just so many different like you can lose and whatever like there's so many different options for how the game can go that you just kind of do build your own personal story out of it which is such a it's it's like kind of emergent narrative kind of stuff in there which i am not normally a huge fan of but they did it in a way that's like branching and really narrative driven that it just works so well in this game and i'm just i'm continually impressed continuously impressed doesn't seem like a word anymore um by how well designed this game is Yeah, I agree. And the art, too, is fantastic. I'm not used to playing games that have... Sprites isn't the right word, right? What's the word for when you have characters that have, they have, like, four different expressions and they cycle through them? Is it? Okay. 
I don't play a lot of games like that, so it I, I, I immediately recognized, like, oh, I know there are a lot of games like this, but I'm not really used to it. So it, it took me a little bit of time, but I, I didn't mind, and the art is so good, the sound is so good. Yeah. It didn't bother me that the characters weren't Yeah, I guess I played animated, enough games, I didn't even think about that the at all. Like, played enough games that have sprites and talking like that. It was just kind of normal for me. Um, but I'm just, yeah, I'm really glad that Supergiant has done, like, three really amazing games. I still haven't actually played Bastion because it got really hard and I haven't finished it. But I love Transistor so much, and I'm really glad that Pyre ended up being, like, everything I want to be. Yeah. I want to play the, um, you can do, uh, couch competition. You can play against someone else in your own home. And, uh, I want to do that, but I don't actually have a second PS4 controller, so I'll work on that first. (laughs) One day. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) See... Yeah, yes, oh well, my next time we totally go to a game cafe, we'll just play Pyre against each other. <laughs> All right. It's <laughs> a cry plan. Cry about Jody and Chase. Don't cry about Hedwin. Oh, wait, public. that's another thing. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> yes. One thing oh, that I, I named... totally forgot to mention, but yeah. like with Jonah, no, go ahead. Jodario, um, she's like a foster mother character. Like, she's a mother. Her character is like this really big, tough soldier captain demon lady but she's like and she doesn't necessarily have like a soft side or like a golden heart kind of thing like it's not like she acts tough but she's really soft like she's tough all the way through but she's also loving all the way through which you kind of get more of as you go through the game and when you find out that yeah she's like a foster mother and she's fostered all these kids Mm -hmm. and they're still up in the commonwealth like they don't know where she is they probably think she's dead and looking after headwind and stuff and it's just like the fact that there's this, like, this powerful tank character you've got, she ends up being, like, a mum, and she's not, like, a stereotypical kind of, like, tough girl is just so amazing. Yeah, I was at first a little, um, I had sort of this knee-jerk reaction, like, oh, why do they have to make the tough lady a mother? But then I realized that it's done in a different way, and, like, her relationship with Hedwin was always very clearly very deep, and they'd known each other <laughs> for a long time, and at that point I was getting attached to everyone, so I was starting yeah. to think, like, they're they're all my family, like, these are all of my sons, you know? Um, so the fact that Hedwin was literally her adopted yeah. son was, like, yeah, perfect. and Like, like of course he is. Like- a mother in the usual way that mothers are written into these things as well like she's not like i must protect my child so i will be strong and tough and everything she's just like it's just another part of her that's not really relevant for a lot of the story as well which i thought was just yeah a really cool way to have that character also i'm so glad that this game exists and has a giant horned lady because banner saga has let me down there (laughs) and it's really sad and like because the, the Varl, who are the big horn guys in that, there are no women in that species. Like, they don't have children. They're just the ones that exist are the ones that exist kind of thing. And I've always been like, give me the big horned ladies. And so when this game first showed Jody, I was just like, this is it. <laughs> this is the game I've been waiting for. Yeah, her character design is really cool. I, uh, one of my favorite scenes is the scene where you, you find the stowaway girl. I named her May. And, uh, Hedwin <laughs> is just, like, Jodariel, do it. And she, like, yes. walks I up thought all she was gonna, like, kill her and or then something. invites the girl in. <laughs> like, 
I know. <laughs> I was like, is that the length of the punch button? Is she just going to kick her out? Yeah. No. It's such like an ominous thing. Yeah, that, means, that welcome first her bit, in. I was like, <laughs> as soon as it happens, I was like, okay, yes, I love these characters. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. So I could probably tell anecdotes about yeah. fire all day, but I think we are getting uh, getting toward the end here. Yeah, so very good game. Tell me your pyre stories. Um, we will probably be back for another episode in a couple weeks. I'm not sure what it will be about, but probably, probably in a couple weeks. Um, uh, so what am yes. I forgetting for our like wrap up stuff? Contact information. <laughs> Don't forget the Western Reaches. Okay, um, <laughs> I can be found at blog full of words on Twitter. I write for Den of Geek, Star Wars Insider, and StarWars.com, and I reside primarily on Twitter, except a bit um, less can now. Find me on Twitter. So at where can people find you? Uh, you can find me writing for Toshi Station. I'll probably have an, an article about Pyre out in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, you can also find me at my site, notsafwork.com, yes. where my podcast network also sits. And you can find our Twitter at Western underscore reaches. Because I always forget about our Twitter. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we do have a Twitter. All right. I think that's all for this week. The Western Reaches. (laughs) Goodbye.